This is the Positive Psychology Podcast, episode number four. Welcome to the Positive Psychology Podcast, bringing your earbuds the science of the good life. And now your host, Kristen Trumpy. Hello and a very warm welcome to you. Up until today, I have always talked about positive psychology in the context of an individual. It was always about what you can do to make your life better using positive psychology. But positive psychology was not meant to just be used within an individual. It's meant to be used within relationships, within institutions such as business and education and even larger groups. So today we're going to talk about positive education and I recorded an interview with Lee Waters. She has done lots and lots of things but we will stick to positive education which is why I'll tell you a, sh- a little bit about what she's done. Um, she is the director of the Centre for Positive Psychology in the Melbourne Graduate School at the University of Melbourne. She's an expert in the field of positive education and has helped lots and lots of schools transform into positive institutions. Lee, thanks so much for joining me. It's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me onto your show. How did you become involved in positive psychology? Well, it's interesting, actually, because um, I didn't start off with positive psychology in my professional role, even though you've just sort of identified what I'm doing professionally and and how much that's wrapped up in positive psychology. But my interest in positive psychology started in 2002. Uh, For personal reasons, I was pregnant with my first child. And I, during my pregnancy, I read Professor Martin Seligman's book, The Optimistic Child. I had studied some of Professor Martin Seligman's work in my uh, undergraduate and my PhD. And so I was interested in his work on optimism and and how it is that we can provide thriving environments for young children so they develop optimistic mindsets. And having finished that book, that was actually the time in which Professor Seligman's book, Authentic Happiness, was first published in 2002. And so I was able to read that book during my pregnancy as well and really made a commitment at that time that I was going to be a strength-based parent uh, and and use a lot of the science of positive psychology in my role as a parent. And so my first foray with positive psychology was was not in the professional domain at all. It was much more in my, my personal domain. And when I returned to work at the University of Melbourne, I started to bring some of the positive psychology topics into my classroom and found that my undergraduate students here at the university were really interested in the field of positive psychology. They had a a hunger and they wanted to learn more. And so um, over a couple of years, developed positive psychology curriculum here at the university and then found that my research was starting to be influenced as well. And that was a big shift for me because as a trained organisational psychologist, for the first 10 years of my career, I was very much researching around how it is that we understand and reduce negative phenomena in the workplace so that we can try and build well-being of employees. So I was focusing on researching topics such as stress, 
and workaholism, um, burnout, the negative side of downsizing. And the fir- that was the first 10 years of my career really was, was focusing on the negative side of things. And then in the last decade, my research has really taken on much more of a positive psychology focus, still uh, focusing in the workplace, but looking at things, topics like gratitude and appreciative inquiry, positive education, mentoring, and how it is that people get meaning from their workplace. So I guess it's been a a 10-year journey of graduating from bringing positive psychology in through my personal life and then then having it slowly migrate and uh, take over my professional life as well. I imagine that must be actually quite enriching because I've I've listened to some positive psychologists say things like, you know, I never really thought about it to use it myself before some reporter challenged me or before some student said, so how do you do it? So so you you came the other way around, which is really interesting. So- I think it's been helpful because it's when it has allowed me to have greater conviction in my prof- in using it in my professional life, uh, in researching it and, and bringing it into the classroom because because I have I did start with it in my personal life and, and I've seen the effects that it's had on my children and, and on myself. So that, that has allowed me to have much stronger conviction bringing it in into my professional role. Right. So so you covered everything but positive education. So so I'm curious <laughs> how did you um, start to focus on that? Hmm. Well, as I said, my PhD was in organisational psychology and for the first 15 years of, of my career here at the University of Melbourne, I was an academic member in the School of Business and Economics. And so as I, as I mentioned, most of my research was actually in the workplace, um, looking at how you create positive states in the workplace through things like gratitude and meaning uh, and understanding positive organisational practices that that build strength in employees like mentoring practices and appreciative inquiry practices. But again, this is where, for me, my career has been an intersection of personal life and professional life because um, I mentioned my pregnancy in 2002. My first son was born in early 2003, which meant that he started primary school about five years ago. And at that time, I became... I became reconnected with schools just as as a parent in my personal life and became very interested in schools as organisations, sort of blending my my experience as a parent with my knowledge as an organisational psychologist and was able to get a transfer from the Faculty of Business and Economics over to the Melbourne Graduate School of Education here at the University of Melbourne. And, And so in that time in the last five years, what I've really done is shift my focus. I'm still doing a little bit of the positive organisational psychology work, but but my focus now mainly is on this field of positive education. And that is how do we apply the knowledge of positive psychology into schools, into classrooms to help support the learning and the well-being of students. And of course, with my organisational psychology lens, I'm also very interested in how it is that we apply positive psychology principles and science into the staff room and the broader school culture as well. Right. Um, 
as an undergraduate, when I was doing um, research in different fields, um, reading papers, I, I always felt a little bit frustrated because I felt that, you know, for example, they do great things at, at schools, but they don't seem to transfer a lot, or at least that was my impression, um, to other domains of psychology. So I really like how you're taking your background in occupational psychology and then using what you have because that's an institution as well. A business is an institution, but it's a different institution. So it seems like you you really went there and said, okay, how can I use that? And of course, build on that. So so I, I really like that about what you just said. Thank you. Um, so why is positive education important? Yes, that's a good question. It's actually a question that um, I've been asked a lot in my own move, moving across from from business and economics over to an education faculty and I, I think you can answer that at two different levels you you can answer it at a from a more societal perspective and then you can answer that same question more at the student or individual level so let's start with the, the societal perspective we we, ha- we have to think about what kind of society it is that we want to develop and how it is that we educate and um, facilitate good citizenship within a society Typically, when we think about schools, we think of them as academic institutions. And so there are various institutions in a society. You mentioned workplaces before. There's there's other institutions such as family and church, for example. When we think about schools, we we typically see them as academic institutions. And so we conceptualise their role in society as producing knowledge, um, as developing the minds of young people and developing the work skills and developing uh, people so that they're ready to go into the workplace. And I guess what I'm arguing is that in addition to thinking about schools as academic institutions, that we should also be thinking about schools as social institutions. And that is that schools play a critical role as, as an important institution in our society to produce citizens. They produce the future citizens. We want to be able to have citizens who actively contribute to the betterment of society. And of course, this is partly done by developing their intellect and their academic skills, but I think it's also done through the development of things like moral character and encouraging pro-social behaviour and giving students the knowledge for them to be able to cultivate their own well-being and to be able to cultivate the well-being of other people. And so I think positive education is important at the societal level if we reconceptualize schools so that they're not just seen as academic institutions, but they're also seen as social institutions that, that produce good citizens who go on to lead our society um, in, in ways that better our society. You can also answer the question, of course, too, at the individual level. And when you think about why do we need positive education and you think about what value that gives to students in schools, and what we know from the research is that when we take a positive education approach to schools, it facilitates the well-being of those students. It acts as an antidote to depression. It allows the students to see how it is that they can craft a life for themselves that breeds satisfaction and um, what motivates them to contribute to other people. The research also shows at the individual level that well-being is inextricably linked with learning and the, the creative process so we were suggesting that a well-being, a positive education approach in schools is important for academic outcomes. 
I would also argue that it, what positive education does at the individual level is it starts to normalise conversations about mental health. And I'm not sure about you, but when I went through school, it was not common to have conversations about well-being and mental health. The conversations were much more focused on learning and academic outcomes. So if we're, if we're able to use positive education in schools as a way of starting to normalise conversations about mental health, what that does is it cultivates emotional intelligence in young people now, but that then develops to allow them to be well now, but to allow them to stay well into the future because emotional intelligence is a, is a well-known resource that we, we draw on in our adulthood life in order to be well and in order to assist the wellness of other people. So you, you flash forward then and you say that young children who are going through school now who go through a positive education approach where it becomes normal to talk about mental health, these, are, these grow up into the adults where it becomes much more normal then to talk about mental health. And by creating and normalising conversations around mental health, what you're doing is you're reducing the social stigma around mental illness you're creating structures where you can have early detection of the symptoms of illness. And it means that those people who, as school children, feel very comfortable talking about mental health, go on into workplaces to also feel very comfortable about talking about mental health. So at the individual level, what we're, what we're seeing is that the advantages are this normalisation of conversations around mental health. Um, other advantages, including an antidote to depression, an increase in potential for satisfaction and as an aid to better learning and more creative thinking. Right, right. You you mentioned a lot of lot of interesting things and this interview could go towards, you know, take a lot of different directions. Um, as a former business psychologist, I'm sure you are aware of the fact that most people, I mean, you must, most people who are in business and actually are supposed to spend the money to fund all this, they will probably just ask like, okay, so how is student well-being and performance linked? Because I, I don't know, tell me maybe about you, but I feel that if you would say all the things that you just said to someone and say to them, how would you feel about your child going to school, to school like that? Lots of people will probably say, oh yeah, that would be great. But if the same people have to make a decision based on budget, they'll suddenly ask, well, so how does this affect the performance? So what do you what are you think uh, thoughts on that? Mm, I think it's a really important question, and it is a question that people working in the field of positive psychology need to be able to answer. And I guess what I found in working with schools is that question comes up a lot, and I've identified that a lot of there's there's a sort of implicit assumption that you either need to focus on well being or you need to focus on academic performance. And so even when it comes down to things like budgets and budget decisions that school administrators and school leaders need to make, do they spend money on a tutoring program or a new learning program or a new technology or do they spend money on a positive education program, um, a, a pro-social program, a wellbeing program? And so I guess one of the, the ways of making sure that the conversation is beneficial is to stop this either-or thinking and is to allow school administrators and teachers and also parents, as you say, allow them to see that the two things are linked, that it's not an it's not an either or. And we're certainly starting to accumulate a massive evidence now to show that well-being is 
significantly related to academic performance. The biggest body of research has come out from the United States of America with the CASEL, which is an acronym that stands for the Collaborative Collaboration on Academic, Social and Emotional Learning. And they've done large-scale research now looking at the link between wellbeing programs in school and academic performance. And in a meta-analysis study they published a couple of years ago that had over 230,000 students from the United States, they found a significant relationship between students who'd gone through social and emotional learning programs and their grade point average. And in fact, what they're able to do is identify that well-being in schools contributes, or that the students who've been through schools who have well-being programs on average do 11% better on standard achievement tests compared to the students who've not had the opportunity to go through some form of social and emotional learning. So it's quite a convincing case now to show that there are um, good performance outcomes for schools who do take a positive education approach. Okay, so um, those are of course averages. Now I'm interested in your experiences. There is a way of doing positive psychology by going in using single interventions where they just try out one thing, maybe over a course of maybe a couple of weeks or even months, um, and then evaluate it versus a holistic approach where the whole school and possibly even the parents and everybody else is involved. Do you have any thoughts on how those two contrast with each other? Hmm. I, firstly, I'd say if a school is going to adopt a positive education approach, then they, they do need to be mindful about what will be the, the, the best way to initially start a process. And for many schools, um, the best way to initially start that process is with what you're calling a single intervention. So that might be um, a particular curriculum or it might be a program that's brought into the sporting context or um, a curriculum that is brought into a particular year level. What the benefit of those single interventions is that it allows the school to have a pilot. It allows the school to start in a particular arena or with a particular group and get some success behind them before they start looking at how can they spread that more holistically through the school. From a researcher's perspective, and I'll put my researcher hat on here for a moment, the single intervention designs are useful for us because if you're intervening with one particular intervention, say it's a social and emotional learning curriculum or it might be that you've run a gratitude program or that you're bringing resilient thinking into the sporting teams of the school, it's much easier to be able to show cause and effect in a research design when you only are bringing in a single intervention. So there's, there are some definite advantages to the single intervention. Having said that, my, my personal um, and professional view, I suppose, as an organisational psychologist is that ultimately it's the holistic approaches that have the biggest impact on the school and will have the greater impact over time. And that's because if you really do want to build the wellbeing of a student, it's not enough to, to just have a single intervention. It's not enough for the student to be exposed just in one year level or just with one curriculum or just in one area of the school. What, what they really need is to be exposed to and be a member of an overall culture of a school that is a, a culture that is a strength-based culture that enables well-being, that, that um, 
prioritizes positive relationships and thriving. And what you do with that holistic approach, of course, is that you, you, you put in place multiple interventions in different areas of the school with different students. And the idea, the theory behind it is that you get to a tipping point where you have enough interventions that you actually start to see that deeper cultural change occurring. So that's the advantage of the, the holistic approach. It, it taps into what some people call implicit education. So it's, it's not just deliberately focused education within the classroom or on the sporting field, but it just starts to become a bit of a fabric of the, organ of the school, of the organisation. Some people refer to it as the hidden curriculum. And that is you're not just having a lesson on resilience, but you're also, you're also seeing your teachers model resilient thinking um, and resilient coping strategies. The downside of the holistic approach is that it's much more difficult to track and measure. So you may not get those small wins that you that a, that a school community and parents might need to see in order to be convinced to take a positive education approach. It's much more difficult to to isolate cause and effect if you're trying to shift well-being with with the holistic approach. But as I said before, I think ultimately it's the holistic approach that that will have the greater impact over time. Okay. So, so what if a teacher, you know, the school has not, no plans of doing anything of the sort, but let's say a teacher who's listening to this podcast thinks, you know, I would like to try things out in my classroom. What would be the first step? Well, that's a really great question. Um, there's a couple of things that a teacher could do. If it's just the individual teacher who's looking to bring in maybe in a single intervention and, and maybe that teacher ends up being a bit of a thought leader and a change agent that, that models that practice in the school. A couple of things that I would suggest, there are, as I mentioned to you before, the CASEL group, which is a US group, the Collaboration for Academic, Social and Emotional Learning. They have a wonderful website with great, great resources on the website, a lot of research, a lot of case studies. They also have as part of their, their website, um, a framework that you can look at that assesses a host of different well-being curriculums and social and emotional life uh, programs. So the website will tell you what the programs are, how many lessons are in the program, what age group it's for. It's just a really effective website to go and have a look for particular programs that the teacher might use. If the, uh, if the teacher is listening from the UK, then the, they could go and have a look at the SEAL program, and that's an acronym that stands for Social, Emotional and Academic Learning. Um, a similar website to the CASEL program, lots of great resources, uh, frameworks that the teacher can use. If the audience is coming more from the Australasian area, then they can go and look at the Positive Education Schools Association, which is a, a new association that's been formed by an alliance of schools who are very advanced in what they're doing around positive education and are inviting other schools to join this association to share resources, to share good practice, to share readings and programs. So there are three good areas that I would, I would suggest to go and have a look at. Um, attending conferences every second year, the International Positive Psychology Association has its World Congress. It's not just education specific, but I would also encourage teachers to not just look within the field of positive education, but to also look at other other fields where positive psychology is being applied, for example, organisational psychology. There are also opportunities for formal study, and you know this yourself, having graduated from the MAP at the University of East London. There's a 
There are a number of MAP programs now across the world, so I mean, one in Denmark, one in the United States, and one here at our own university in Australia, the University of Melbourne. So there's a formal study, there's the um, informal professional development through the attending of conferences, and then there's the learning about curriculum and resources through CASEL, through SEAL, and then through PESA, the Positive Education Schools Association. So there's some very concrete things that teachers can do as a first step, but I guess getting back to to the very first question you asked me, how did I get involved in positive psychology? I would also encourage teachers, if they're going to start doing it in the school, to really be thinking about how they can live it themselves and how they can embody and apply the science of positive psychology to their own life, to their to their roles outside of the school as well as teaching it. So that when they do come in to teach it in their school, they're not just teaching it, they actually really live it and embody it. And that's it's that authenticity that will create motivation in a student to recognise that this is something worthy to learn about and worthy to implement in their own lives. I'm so glad you mentioned this last point and um, amen to that. I, I suggest that we leave the audience with that because if they take anything away from this, that's precisely what I hope they will take away. Lee, thank you so much. It was really interesting for me. Um, I will look up CASEL and SEAL and Positive edu uh, Education School Association and put those links into the notes so that interested people can find them. Um, yes, I do. Yeah. Great. Okay. So thank you very much for joining us. It's been my pleasure. And thank you again for having me on your show. Thank you. Bye. Okay. All the best. Okay, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Lee Waters. I certainly did. And if you want to dive deep, the Centre for Positive Psychology at the University of Melbourne offers a graduate professional certificate in positive education. You can learn more about that on the website of the University of Melbourne. It will be in the show notes like everything else. And if you want to check out the links that she talked about, just go to www.strengthsphoenix.com slash four. That's the number four, okay? Don't write the word four. www.strengthsphoenix.com slash four. Have a great week and see you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Positive Psychology Podcast. We're saying goodbye with Happy Yogurt. <laughs>